Hello, and thank you for joining us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 16, where we'll be talking about season two, episode five of the CBS summer series, Extant. This episode is entitled The New Frontier, and it aired on July 29th, 2015. And The New Frontier was written by Gianna Sobel and was directed by veteran Extant director Christine Moore. And this was a good one, again, Dave, for some interesting guest roles and perhaps recurring roles, depending on how many episodes they're going to be in. Yeah, and I'm not going to look. Wait, you didn't see the big one? No. Okay, because I don't think you noticed it. So let's see if this creates a little bit of surprise for Dave. But first of all, those of you who watch Scandal probably recognized Kate Burton, who played the secretary of Homesec, Fiona Stanton, in this episode. And it was kind of an appropriate role for her, given her role in Scandal as Vice President Sally Langston. Very political, and she plays that role very well. And I would certainly love to have her back. She was great. Yeah, she really was good. I really enjoyed her conversations with Ethan, especially. (laughs) And then the one that was just like, oh, yes, I can't believe he's on here, is Richard T. Jones as JD's unnamed friend. He doesn't get a credit for this one, but that's James Ellison from Sarah Connor Chronicles. (laughs) And you know what? I'm looking in the notes and you had that in the notes and I see James Ellison and you know who I'm thinking of. (laughs) Yeah, there's one of our Continuum fans who uses that as his pseudonym. Is that who you're thinking of? That's exactly who I'm thinking of. (laughs) No, the real James Ellison. Uh, Yeah, he was looking a little bit different. Obviously, he with his beard and hair, uh, lack of hair, was a little bit different looking, but it was so great to see him. And 10 or 12 years older. (laughs) And the other person who, well, not really a person, but an interesting fact I found out about Richard the Robot, turns out that's actually a real robot that you can, well, I don't know if you can buy him, but at Ecovax Robotics, which has a bunch of household robots that, you know, clean your carpet, clean your windows and stuff like that. Richard the Robot is what's known as a Benabot, an interactive in-store remote sales expert. (laughs) So... He was playing a bit of a role, a little, little product placement, perhaps, for the Ecovax Robotics Company. And probably knows a little bit more than most of the people that actually work in the store. <laughs> That's right. You could ask a question like Siri, I imagine, or something like that. But I thought that was cool because we've seen a couple of robots now that you can actually get on the consumer market. So kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Not sure if it's cool or not, but in terms of the ratings, we came back again with a 0.7 and a 3 share. million viewers, which is pretty much flat. So uh, last week they went up a bit. This week we held tight. and That sounds like the ratings we were getting last season too. So I think we're probably cruising for another renewal. I mean, I'm just basing that on the fact that Under the Dome got a third season. Yeah, I think in our case it depends. I would certainly think on Halle Berry. And if she wants to come back... Yeah, that's true. That's probably going to be the determining factor. Well, we'll see. I'm uh, interested to see how they wrap up this season, number one, and number two, whether or not it would be a a satisfying conclusion in case there isn't a season three. But I just love the direction they've been taking it this season. Every week has been consistent. I mentioned that in my Den of Geek review, where you can always count on it moving the story forward and just really well written. The dialogue is great, I think, especially... So really have been impressed with this season. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to speak for Halle Berry, but as an actor, how can you not love the direction that her character's taken? Well, that's true. I think it really boils down to all the stuff she's been talking about with where she thought she was going to be able to spend more time with her family in L.A. and found out that the TV schedule is quite grueling. Right, and you know what? We'll stop doing the X-Men movies. (laughs) That's right. But let's see what we have to say here in our episode discussion. All right. Well, you know, Mike, before we get started, one of the things that really struck me about this episode, probably more than anything, is the toll that the job has on individuals. And for me, none more than Toby. And I think we looked at his character as a questionable guy. We're not really sure. Is he good? Is he bad? But for me, what came out of this episode is that he really is a good man that's just simply been placed in a terrible situation. I agree. Yeah, definitely. He seems like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I think Shana even tells him that at one point. 
Yeah, I mean, we just see him in a totally different light. But the other one, Julie and Charlie, I think you see them, I think in this episode, they're just simply in over their heads. And I think they both mean well, and we'll talk about both of them as the discussion moves on. Uh, And the last thing that really struck me is the parallel between two characters that have authority issues, and that would be Lucy and JD. Fascinating. Oh, that's true. I never thought of that. But yeah, they have similar paths, don't they? So we open at the command center and it becomes pretty clear that though 58 women worldwide have died, and by extension, we assume there are at least 58 hybrids on the loose, suddenly they're not tracking any of them with the uh, thermal trackers. And they decide that they're literally underground, which I'm not sure I buy that. They probably at this point know they're being tracked by their body temperature so perhaps they're doing something although it's possible that they are holed up somewhere underground and have like a basement lair or something like that which would then imply that they're together well not necessarily but yeah possibly but they could have several different places that they would hang out and that they've just agreed to stay underground i don't know i kind of think that might be what's going on here because the thermal trackers wouldn't it be able to find the 80 degree temperature just like Lucy did? Well, you would think. So, <laughs> well, I love the transition. We go from that scene to JD getting it on with a woman at his place. Is this the same woman from the motel room earlier? I do not know. Okay. Probably. <laughs> and just as they're really getting ready to get into it, we know Molly's going to come knocking and she's right on cue. And, you know, I guess what I found interesting was that the woman doesn't know it's Molly, doesn't know it's another woman, but I guess she just has some history with JD because she's already dressed <laughs> and headed out the door. I guess she's used to interruptions. And if it is the same girl, then she got interrupted by the call to take the crime job. So I think she might be used to his ways of putting her off. And that I don't think it's his fault. It's just that he has a sense of duty. Okay. And then in the last scene of the opening sequence, how can you not love Lucy and Ethan together. I mean, you, you've you mentioned the actress that's playing Lucy you know, a number of times, and she's just wonderful. I mean, she she came out of nowhere for me in this show. Yeah, she easily could have been very stiff and kind of a younger actress, which she is, coming off not very powerful, but she really does give a powerful performance. Yeah. So we see Ethan cleaning up his scooter, and I love the line when she tells him that she'd do anything for her baby brother, and then asks what Charlie told him about Molly. And, and, you know, again, what is her end game with Ethan? Does she just want, like you said, to have a partner in her mission, whatever it's going to be? Does she truly see him as a little baby brother? Or is there something else that she's using him for? I don't know. I do believe. And Barb, I believe, also mentioned that fact that she just wants a companion on her way to becoming a soldier. I think it's something she doesn't want to do alone. I do think it's interesting that she acts like a big sister when she is technically younger and just has an older looking chassis. Yeah, good point. You know, Ethan has like nine years of life experience. But but it's funny because she acts her age while she even maybe acts older while he acts like a 10 year old. Well, and perhaps that's strategic on her part where she knows he wants someone like that in his life. He wants someone to care for him because that's how his experience has been so far, the way John has programmed him to be. Right. Now, what about the photo? She's asking him about what Charlie said. Oh, you probably just know Molly from seeing her on TV. And then he brings up the photo that he found with him and Molly in it. Oh, and he says that it's the kind of photo a family would take. Yeah. That's definitely true. And I don't know how much Lucy knows, but she encourages him on that path to try and investigate what's going on. They're hiding something from you, Ethan. Right. And he says, well, why? And she said, well, that's a good question. And you have the right to ask. And rights come into play very much in later conversations as well. Yeah. You know who she reminds me of is is that girl in Continuum that kept uh, pushing Theseus. Oh, Rebecca, (laughs) Rebecca, you know, because I mean, that's what she's doing, pushing him to stand up for his rights as a human, I guess. Yeah. And Richard has to point out that humanics don't have rights technically, but Lucy 
asserts that he needs to fight for his right to the truth. That's what history teaches us. So perhaps Lucy is pulling from her data bank of knowledge and has learned from the lessons of history. Right. And then, of course, we get the answer to one of the big questions from last week as to who wrote the message in the mirror. Yeah, and I think that might have only been a mystery to us. <laughs> I don't know if other people understood that it was Ethan that had left it there. I think someone pointed out that, yes, he did actually go upstairs when he first got there, and I just hadn't noticed it. So, yeah, that's Ethan that left the message. And Lucy, she's the one that told him to do it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so one of the primary stories, and we, and we got several storylines, and, and you know some of them intersect, some don't, but Molly's quest to get back Ethan. So Molly shows JD the message on the mirror from Ethan, but of course Gina's memory has been erased by someone that's tech savvy, and I love JD. He kind of implies he's going to go old school, yet he's got this fancy little fingerprint. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going old school, but I'm using a fancy tool to find the fingerprints, implying also that computer geeks don't remember that type of thing when they're covering their tracks. And sure enough, Charlie left some fingerprints there. And this is where Molly gets her first clue that that call that she got from Julie, maybe she shouldn't have declined it. Yeah, no question. Now, we go back to Julie and Charlie, and she is irate over what happened with Ethan, the fact that he didn't keep her in the loop about it. I'm not sure how they all of a sudden got it to her apartment, and more to the point how they it looked like they were back in her bedroom, I guess maybe to prevent Ethan from overhearing their conversation. Well, apparently Julie was 3,000 miles away, Charlie said, so she was off on a visit. Perhaps... Uh, D.C., I would guess, because aren't they on the West Coast? Uh, I believe so. So she must have been visiting the politicos in D.C., and Charlie was taking care of Ethan. So that's where why they were all there. Uh, and this certainly was not Julie's finest moment. No. <laughs> she has a restraining order, really? Well, because, remember, she got attacked at the funeral, and that was one of the reasons why Molly was in Restwell. So Julie apparently has an outstanding uh, restraining order to keep Molly at bay. All right. Well, Ethan walks out, says mom. And of course, Molly thinks he's referring to her, walks over and hugs him. And and again, just seeing the look on his face, we know he doesn't recognize her, but we're certainly wondering how he's going to react. And I, I think he says something like, oh, she does know me. Or I do know her. Yeah. Right. I guess I know her. <laughs> yeah. And she's, well, yeah, of course, I'm your mother. And he says, no, that's my mom over there. And she starts putting the pieces together and realizes what Julie has done. And then really calling their, her little security bot to get the police there. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Julie's just trying to get it so that she doesn't have to have this confrontation with Molly. But Molly's saying a, a lot of the right things, although thankfully JD is there to hold her back from being violent. But she says, what are you trying to protect him from? The truth? just because it was maybe a little bit hard for him to know that his mother was away. And I totally agree with Molly there. And of course we do, because we've already been horrified at what Julie did here with erasing Ethan's memories. But Right. And just Molly's line to her, what kind of monster does this to a little boy? And, you know, at this point, we don't really have a sense of how important Julie is to the program. Nor does Molly. Nor does Molly, exactly. She doesn't know about the program at all. <laughs> right. So you can kind of hear some sirens in the background. JD, like you said, ushers her out, but not before. I will be coming back for him, Julie. You can count on it. Yeah, and can you imagine? It's hard to put ourselves in Molly's shoes from the standpoint of not knowing why Julie got Ethan. We know, of course, that it was leverage to get Julie to work on the Humanic Soldiers. And that's what Julie wanted as a concession. But Molly's just thinking, what the heck? I thought he was destroyed when they got rid of all the 4.0 and above. Yeah. And, you know, seeing Halle Berry in X-Men, I mean, it's easy to say she plays a good badass, which she does. But I really think she does in this show as well, even though there's not a lot of physicality on her end. You know, it's just the attitude. And she's got so much attitude in this scene. Oh, yeah, definitely. And also someone who has attitude when he gets told the truth by Charlie, Ethan, she's really my mom. Not happy at all about it. But Julie does give him a fairly good explanation, giving him the basic truth and saying how he was sad and she was just trying to prevent him from hurting himself. But 
she also minimizes Molly's role in raising him while emphasizing the fact that she and Charlie helped create him, which technically is what a mother is. Well, of course, right. And he's not buying any of it. No. And runs out saying, I want Lucy. And Charlie's just looking there helplessly because, you know, he's kind of getting hit from both sides. Yeah, he's staying out of it. What also comes out of that conversation, though, is Ethan using the term, I have a right to know, because that's exactly what Lucy told him, is that he has rights. And he wants to know why she reprogrammed him to forget Molly. And that's why I think he calls Lucy's name out is because he's starting to think that she's the only one he can trust. All right. So Molly goes to see Toby to find out how it is that Julie ended up with Ethan in the first place. And he uses our classic line. It's complicated. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And then she comes right up and accuses him in John's death. And then I love it. He plays the friend card. And then she says, well, I'm your friend and you didn't have any trouble sending a drone strike after me. (laughs) That's right. But do you believe him? Because I I kind of buy it. I'm wondering, who is it that killed John? Is it someone who didn't know what they were doing? In other words, I think that Julie was the one that made the call, just as as is revealed in this episode, to have him killed. But she just didn't know that that's what was going to happen. But then who was on the other end of that phone? Because I don't think it was Toby. Well, see, I'm not sure about that. I definitely do not think Toby's involved. No, I think he's innocent. He would never do that to his friend, just like he said. I think sending the drone strike after her, he felt he had to do it for the greater good. And, and I think in the, you know, if she had time to really reflect, she would understand that decision. But I'm not sure about Julie. I'm beginning to think that perhaps she's a red herring in all of this. Well, I also am saying that from the standpoint that she didn't know she was making that call and that she was indirectly responsible for his death. She probably doesn't even realize it to this day, but she may have been responsible. Okay. Well, Molly plays basically the only card she has to play and that's helping with the virus and tells him, unless I get Ethan back, I'm done. In fact, not only am I done, I'm going to go to the press and tell them what's going on here. Now, My first question is, and I guess I know the answer is that, you know, she's such a high profile person because being an astronaut, they can't simply have her killed. Husband killed, suspicious accident, and now she's, you know, even they can't do that. Yeah, but she is kind of in dangerous territory here. And, And when he makes the call after she leaves and says, we've got a problem, you do worry that Molly might be in real trouble. Molly, you in danger, girl. But she basically has the audacity to say i'm going to tell everyone and he says that could ruin the whole world so be it right and then at the end as she's leaving the office she starts you know getting a little dizzy again it sounds like the voices and the auditory stuff is getting even louder so again we still don't know exactly what exacerbates that but But it definitely was building through the episode to a point where she can't resist it anymore and this is the beginning of it right so whether it's stress who knows yeah all right. Well, we see a little meeting between Toby, Anna, and homesec head Fiona Stanton. She wants to know why Ethan wasn't shut down with the other 4.0s. Right. And Anna actually has to tell her that they needed leverage to get Julie on the team. And this is something that is really skillfully done because it explains why Ethan was kept around for Julie. And it explains now the shift as to why even though Molly escaped from Restwell from a fake warrant that they need her. She's worked on the virus. They've made a huge breakthrough. And if they give Ethan over to her now, and you know, there's some worry on Anna's part that Julie will leave the program if Ethan is taken from her. But I think that Julie is now invested enough that the shift won't make him as much of a difference. So actually in my mind, I'm wondering, did Fiona Stanton, award Ethan to Molly because of this leverage that she wants to get Molly to work on the virus again? Or is she actually being kind as it almost appears? Yeah, well, we'll get to that in a second. I think it's that she's being kind, but it's starting to sound like a lifetime movie here to me. (laughs) And now the thing about Julie, and obviously, like she said, that Ethan was given to her to keep her in the program. They're afraid she would walk. But even by her own admission later in the episode, she worked primarily on Ethan's prosthetics, his body. Yeah, and I had totally forgotten that Julie had those two fake legs. (laughs) Well, Well, I had also, but more to the point, 
she wasn't working on the important stuff, right? His core being. Yeah, that was Charlie mostly probably, and uh, and John, of course. Right. So why is she so critical? I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, so why wouldn't they just pressure Julie a little bit in, in this matter? I mean, she clearly, you can see she's hanging by a thread there, just trying to keep her head above water in this situation, no matter how important she is to the program. I mean, these people are much older, much more experienced than she. Right. And I think that's how Toby feels about it, is that we don't need to worry about this project of Anna. Did you sense that there was a little bit of animosity between Anna Schaefer and Tobias Shepard? Oh, yes. Uh, I think they both feel like they're in charge of this program when, you know, the reality is probably neither is. Right. And well, that's why Fiona Stanton is like, you know why I wear blue suits every day? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I have to deal with people like you and I don't want to make all these decisions. Right. But what, what about her statement, though, that every decision we make weakens our ability to make the next one? I mean, it sounds really meaningful, but what does it mean? It might actually just mean that she's not that great at making decisions. Yeah, well, in fact, she says, well, let me run it by Taylor. Because he's apparently cold and calculating when it comes to making this these kind of calls. Well, yeah, he he made the drone strike call. Taylor did. Is he like the assistant secretary or something? Uh, I guess. But Toby challenges that decision, and right away she kind of goes over to his side. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Throughout this, in fact, Stanton makes her judgments almost seemingly on the most logically presented argument. And in this case, I do think Toby won the argument between he and Anna because he was being much more logical about it. Right. So, uh, so Stanton calls Julie and says she wants to meet with Ethan. And then after getting off the phone, you know, she you know, laments to Charlie, what if they take him away from me? And I don't know what to think about that. Does she really love him or does she see him as a piece of luggage? I don't think so. Based on the evidence that we got from season one and two, you thought for a while that it was all about John and her feelings for John. But I think Ethan is wrapped up in that. Her emotional attachment to him extends beyond what she felt for John. She actually, well, maybe part of it is also just not wanting Molly to have him and wanting him for herself. But definitely, I think she's rightfully worried and in fact blames Charlie for bringing this down on her because of the little adventure they had last episode. Right. True. Um, wait till she finds out about what he did with Lucy or what he didn't do. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So Stanton is either one of the most patient, loving, understanding persons, or she's a fantastic liar. I tend to think she's true and genuine. I don't know. I think okay. she is doing it strategically. But okay. Yeah, she does seem very grandmotherly. <laughs> well, she she meets face to face with Ethan, and I love her when she says, "I never met a robot boy before." And questions him, you know, the same way a judge would before assigning custody. And, and again, he's very comfortable answering her, gets up at one point, goes, grabs a piece of candy. And I think that leads her to ask him about, oh, you're wearing pajamas. Do you sleep? And <laughs> yeah, he talks about how his skin is made, how he doesn't really need to eat or sleep, but he does it anyway, because that's how John programmed him. And even mentions what we were speculating on last week, the fact that his brain it's like a hard drive and you don't always delete all the little pieces of the memory. It still made an impression. And that's why he was glitching with Molly. Right. And then when she asks him about what he thinks about what's going on, and he mentions the fact that his whole world is being turned upside down because he doesn't know what's true and what's not true. And I think that really resonates with her. Yeah. How can you trust what you've experienced if your memories can just be erased like that? And he also brings up an interesting point that he can't go to school, which we knew because he was hanging out at the lab. But apparently there are some new laws about robots being able to go to school. And if, I guess if there's no other 4.0s, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, but it was almost kind of an aside. But then when we go back to all the things that Lucy has been saying to him, it starts to kind of make a little bit of sense in the, this societal reaction to these advanced robots. Right. And that's why... It's so great how Lucy has been presented in the show where all of her arguments make sense. But at the same time, you realize how dangerous they are. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're with Molly, who's drunk, distraught. Uh, Gina tells her she's got a visitor. I don't know about you, but I just assumed it was going to be J.D., which, given her condition, was going to lead to the bedroom. <laughs> but 
it's Toby who tells her he's got news and tells her that Ethan was supposed to be decommissioned, but the decision to give him to Julie wasn't his, but he says there was no other way, which, again, now we're going back to that, you know, oh, she's integral to the program. We had to have her. She was going to walk. Where is she going to walk? But anyway. <laughs> Yeah, couldn't they get by with Charlie? I guess she was just compliant, and she could get all the rest of them in line. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Now, he tells her he's arranged a meeting for her with Stanton to plead her case to get her son back. And then she begins having one of her episodes, which I guess then kind of negates what I said a few minutes ago about stress perhaps triggering these outbreaks, because this would seem to be good news. Yeah, it's almost a compulsion, like a vampire needing blood. You know, she needs to have this sexual encounter every now and then, and she's reached her limit here. She realizes what's happening and tries to warn Toby to leave, but I think Toby might be a little bit glad that he didn't leave. <laughs> well, yes, they start tearing their clothes off. And then, of course, he had no hesitation. He was like, yes to this. <laughs> right. But then we get uh, another announcement from Gina that she's got another visitor. Unfortunately, this one has the passcode. <laughs> yeah. And it's JD arriving to find the two of them in Dark Angel parlance getting busy. <laughs> yeah. Getting busy. Yeah. And. Thankfully, they were interrupted. I think that was a good thing for Toby and Molly. But I'm not sure what JD thinks of it. I think he just kind of laughs about it. I'm not sure if he knows this is part of her compulsion because he's experienced it firsthand. Good luck. I'm rooting for you, too. <laughs> yeah, because he's had an encounter with Toby before in the interrogation room, so he's not a big fan of him. But I thought it was interesting that Toby said, you know, I told her you to stay away from her. So now Toby knows that JD is involved, and I'm not sure... Uh, if that will come into play at all. Right, because we assume he's responsible in a large part to him losing his license. Right, and although J.D. is proceeding with the investigation without the license, it has got to be a motivation for him. In fact, that's why he kind of turns Molly down to keep going further with her, because he doesn't have a license. He needs to get his life back on track. Yep. Well, ironically, both men leave. There's a meeting set for 10 o'clock the next day. And then the next thing you know, we see Molly waking up in her bed wearing her nightclub dress. And then she notices this triangular pattern on the back of her hand. And at first I thought, oh, this got something to do with the alien spores and all that. But no, it's just one of those nightclub stamps, I guess. Yeah. And how abrupt was that? She just was going off when JD and Toby left. And then boom, she was waking up with her nightclub dress on and kind of remembers some foggy memories of having gone to that nightclub but gina tells her it's nine o'clock so she's lost i get the impression that she is having a lot of sleepless nights because of this and that's why she's always so tired <laughs> all right well she realizes it's nine she's going to be late for the meeting in case she, unless she hurries uh she doesn't exactly look dressed for a meeting of this importance but it doesn't really <laughs> seem to matter because i don't know about you mike but she took control of that meeting from the get-go well, did she? Because <laughs> I thought it was funny that Julie had a bunch of documentation ready, even though Stanton reminds them that this is not a court hearing. She is in charge of home sec and the GSC owns Humanix. So she is making a sole decision based on that ownership. But Julie almost is pulling out exhibit A and exhibit B. And Molly's like, if I had known this was going to be show and tell. I'd have brought the video of you having sex with my husband, <laughs> That's but, but, right. but she gets that in anyway. But even right from the start, Julie gets to speak first and reminds us of her prosthetic legs to which Molly immediately goes sympathy card. <laughs> yeah. And Stanton's no, you let her talk and, and she doesn't ever let her talk. I mean, Molly continues to interrupt her and eventually Stanton just lets it go. Yeah, that's true. Everything that Julie brings up, Molly has an argument for a good argument for because Molly also doesn't have any kind of coding ability. And I guess Julie is challenging the fact that she can be a mother without actually being part of the humanics team. Right. Look at the big picture without coding ability. She can't erase his coding and rewrite it and, you know, take away his memories the way Julie did. But Julie does bring up the fact that John worried about Molly's treatment. And you remember how she didn't, want to have Ethan as a real son and had arguments with John over that. So Julie is correct in saying that Molly did think of him as a thing at first, a piece of luggage. Okay. But then when we get down to it, 
at the end of this conversation, in Julie's corner is the fact that Ethan technically is property of the GSC. And we're at war. And we're at war. <laughs> and I don't mean to minimize that, but on the other hand, it's pretty clear who raised Ethan. That's true. And which is more important, nature or nurture? Right. And I guess the other question is how important is Ethan to the war? Yeah, because he's really just a piece of leverage. He's not important to the war, is he? Right. Molly is because right. she can help you know, with, with the virus. And but... Julie was when she was needed to get the Humanics team in line. But yeah, it's not as though Ethan is by himself important to their efforts. Right. And Molly drops a couple bombs here at the end. I mean, the, the one about uh, Julie having sex with her husband. But then she accuses her of being connected to John's death. And I was looking at Stanton both times I watched it. She doesn't look surprised when she hears that. Oh, really? <laughs> Almost as if she knows the truth. Now, uh, I, I took it as just she was kind of like, ah, just kind of giving up on this whole argument thing. Because like you said, she was letting Molly interrupt all the time. But yeah, I guess that could be taken as, oh, she knows that, does she? <laughs> yeah. Now, I believe it was at the beginning of this meeting, Stanton lets both women know that, you know, I have the final and only say in this matter. So she's heard both sides renders her decision, beginning with her feeling that as a thinking, feeling being, Ethan should be afforded the same considerations as a human child, which is what Lucy's been saying all along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. And this is where I think, wow, I'm surprised by this decision. And I started to be suspicious of it and thinking that Stanton is just like Toby was saying, using Ethan as leverage to get Molly back on the virus team. Okay. Well, she says it's in Ethan's best interest to return to Molly so that he can reform those bonds that he'd had. Now, like you said, you know, perhaps she's motivated by the fact that they need to get Molly back on the virus team. The meetings then interrupted urgent situation, which we assume is the assassination that Lucy's carried out. Yeah, I guess so. And then as the meeting's winding down, look at you, Molly. Are you even capable of taking care of a child? And That was a cheap uh, shot. I think the fact that Molly just kind of walked out without saying anything emphasizes the fact that Julie just kind of had a low blow there. Yeah, but I just am not convinced that Julie has what it takes to really diabolically plan something that's going to bring oh, I agree. Molly down. True. And I think if anything, if she tries, she's going to bring herself down and probably by extension, Charlie as well. No, I agree. I think Julie is only capable of, of self-destructing. <laughs> yes. All right. Now, Molly finds Ethan to tell him that they're going to be spending time together. And, and I love this scene. He's concerned about being reprogrammed again. And it's understandable. And I love her response that we're not going to be reprogrammed. We don't need those old memories. We can form new ones. That was a very good answer on her part to win him over. And I think it's true anyway, because, of course, there are some bad memories back there. So maybe she's happy to get rid of those. <laughs> right. But then he says, well, what about Lucy, my sister? She's a soldier. Who? <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to go back. Did Molly even know about Lucy pre-body? That's a good question. She might have, but she probably didn't think much of that because it was just another experimental humanic like Ethan. So perhaps she didn't see the possibilities there, but it's clear that she thought Ethan was gone and she wasn't sparing a second thought for the humanics for the whole first half of this season. She was only thinking about the aliens. Right. So what I'm thinking is that Ethan's going to go with Molly. And one of the first things that Ethan's going to ask for is for Lucy to be able to spend time with all three of them together are we setting up a situation where Lucy's going to try to take out Molly? Because I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that Molly's becoming a hybrid herself. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think we'll hear some feedback to that effect as well later that Lucy is not necessarily going to be able to continue being Ethan's sister. <laughs> if Ethan rejoins Molly. Right. And somebody needs to take Molly's temperature. <laughs> it's probably dropping. It's probably dropping. Now, as Julie looks in on Ethan and Molly, She's just shooting daggers. Yeah. And then Anna walks by to get Julie for a stand-up meeting. And I know Julie's a bit concerned about where this meeting is going to go, but Anna's ecstatic. Yeah, that's, again, the Lucy's success in taking out a hybrid. Yep. Something wonderful has happened. And Lucy's made her first confirmed hybrid kill to the applause of everybody in attendance. And 
it was kind of macabre in a way. Well, especially since everyone was very happy about it, except for Charlie and Julie, who kind of look a little worried that this has taken place, and probably because she did it without being ordered to. Right, which means a lot more to Charlie than it does to Julie, because Julie thinks that the restraints have been programmed in. Yeah, I think she's starting to suspect, but Anna just doesn't care. She's just so giddy that it's working. I don't think she cares one way or the other if the limiter is installed or not, as long as she gets results. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so the B story, if you will, J.D. looking into Julie's potential involvement in John's death, and, and really maybe even more to the point, just John's death and who was behind it. And initially he points out that there's no way Julie and Charlie orchestrated this whole thing. Uh, what is I forget what he calls them. Charlie Frick and Julie Frack. right. Molly immediately agrees. Oh, no, no, I know that. Homesec is responsible. Why would they give Julie my son? Well, obviously, we come to learn that, that they felt that they needed him as leverage to keep her in the program. Well, what they really start to put together here is that all these things that happened to Molly, one right after the other, starting with her testimony with the congressional hearing and leading up to John's death, was a lot for her to have experienced just by pure happenstance. And so they think maybe there's something else behind it. Yeah, it's the sequence that's important at this point. Right. So Molly and JD listen to the last phone call from John, and then she and JD are putting the pieces together. There is a government conspiracy afoot. He mentions the uh, fact that he doesn't ordinarily wear a tinfoil hat. (laughs) Yeah, but he does say, you know what? No one is that unlucky as he realizes that all these things seem to be related or one leads to the consequence of another. Right. And and then she pleads for his help and he's like, well, you know, I'm really trying to get my life back together. And I'm thinking like, really? Well, his license has been revoked. It's not like he has a method for investigating anyway. And he's basically saying that when the government's involved, things can get pretty hairy. And so he knows he would have to work through back channels, which he does with his friend. He doesn't even have any money to pay the guy. So he wants to get his license back and get his life back on track. And you can understand that he's kind of rejecting the idea just because it's going to be extremely difficult. Is there a beef shortage in the future? Why do you say? Well, they keep mentioning it cost me a steak dinner at such and such a place. And, you know, apparently a steak dinner is a big deal. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Well, anyway, so you mentioned this military friend of his who's apparently pretending to be crazy just so he can continue to receive VA benefits and he doesn't have the money to pay. And the guy immediately goes, oh, it's a woman. I hope she's pretty. <laughs> yeah. She's all right. <laughs> That's right. He actually doesn't seem to mind helping JD for free. In fact, I think he even says this one's on the house when he finally gives him the final results. But JD gives him a small chip that turns out to be a vehicle data recorder which off camera somewhere he actually got from an insurance investigator that he bribed with the stakes that you mentioned. So I don't know how JD pulled that magic, but his friend has the tech savvy to be able to hack into it and see what happened. And the records show that John overrode the safety protocols. The insurance adjusters are saying that it was user error. And so everyone's kind of covering their butts and, and treating this like it was an accident, even though clearly John would never do such a thing. And even if he did, it's an awfully big coincidence that the car chose to break down directly on the train tracks. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Now, we see then Molly looking through some old photos of Ethan and John. And you had mentioned to me today, the one on the back says John and Calderon. Yeah, she's looking at a picture of John standing, smiling, looking at a picture that someone has drawn. And the person that's holding the drawing looks like they have darker skin, but you can't see who they are. And so on the back, it says John and Calderon. So who's that? Okay, well, maybe this is residual from my lost days, but I, I'm looking at that scene a couple of times, and could it be Calder 1? Because they are separated. There is a separation. There is... Well, what would that mean? <laughs> I don't have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> there was a Dr. Calder in season one, but he was a minor character. Uh-huh. I looked it up. <laughs> right, okay. But anyway, JD calls to tell her he's on the case. He's going to find out what happened to John and that she's not alone. But by her own admission, she tells him, JD, I'm losing it. 
and he goes to be with her. Now, later on, J.D.'s buddy has not only extracted the data from the car's black box to reveal John's route that last night, but he's hacked into the nearest cell tower. So like you mentioned, uh, Julie making that phone call. Yeah. What's up with that? Because she made it. And then 10 minutes later, John is dead. So we already suspected that because we saw that sequence of events. But what comes out of this is that Julie made that call apparently to some super high security phone number, like in the executive branch of the government. Right. Now, does it surprise you that even she would have a number like that? It does. But is that like Homeland Security kind of executive branch, like one of the cabinet members, perhaps Stanton? I don't know. Because he he did say executive branch. So, you know, we haven't met the president or anyone else. So the only executive branch person we know is Stanton. Okay. Now I'm going to really go out here on a limb. Okay. We don't know whether or not he had an audio of the phone call. Did he just have an electronic record of it? Could it be somebody using her phone, making it appear, in other words, setting her up? But we saw her do it. We saw her make the phone call and say, I, I think we have a problem. Okay. So, okay. yes, right. it, it is possible what you said, but okay. but I think what we have seen belies that fact. So, I don't know. All right. Well, one of my favorite stories is, is the relationship between Lucy and Ethan. And, you know, now her mission appears to be two-pronged. You know, the target and taking out each target individually, I guess we should say the targets, but also still her continued quest for self-actualization and by extension, bringing Ethan along with her. Yeah, that's right. And I really love how they continue to make this very subtle. And she's really kind of putting the pressure on for Charlie, kind of manipulating those around her. And it's an opening scene that you think is real. She's at a bar, scanning the crowd, reading their body temperatures until she finds someone who is reading 81 degrees, which indicates that he is a hybrid. Yep. And does a pretty good strategic wooing of him and mentions something about, you know, they keep the good stuff in the back. Let's let's go back for some hanky-panky and is able to execute him. But did you notice, Dave, that this time during this simulation, she asks for permission before she does it? She said, permission to execute. Oh, I don't remember that. And the voice okay. says, permission granted. And she snaps his neck. So she's almost pretending as though those limiters are in place. Oh, good good catch. I didn't notice that. Yep. So like you said, we assume it's a real scenario, but then it turns out to be a virtual reality combat simulation. Anna, of course, is thrilled. Julie's curious why the installed compliance limiters didn't slow down her responses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that good, says Charlie. <laughs> yep. And then Lucy wants to know when she gets to go into the field for real. And then says to Charlie, see, aren't you glad you didn't install the limiters? And there is something to be said for that. Obviously, we know that it's dangerous, but maybe he's being persuaded by the fact that she is able to make some quick decisions and not have those slowed responses that Julie mentioned. Yeah, or she's just that good. <laughs> yeah, I think she's really manipulating this situation very skillfully, considering she was just born very recently. <laughs> right. So then after that takes place... Anna wants to see Julie, and I assumed it was about the simulation and, and something that she wasn't happy about, but in fact, she needed to talk to her about Ethan and tells Julie that he disabled his GPS while she was away. Maybe it's time to place those same limiters on Ethan. Yeah, it's interesting that Anna's concerned with Ethan turning off his GPS and seems to be blind to any flaws that Lucy might have. Right. But I, I guess my question is, why is she concerned about Ethan? Exactly. Why would she care? Because I don't know that she's noticed the affinity the two have for each other. And, and I don't think she's noticed the fact that Lucy is really acting as the big sister here. Yeah, I think basically this is a vehicle to allow Julie to find out what happened, because otherwise, how would she have found out? So, yeah, a little bit of a contrived situation for Anna to bring it up, but such as it is now uh, ironically uh, lucy continues her reprogramming of ethan yeah that's true and tells him that there should be a law against having his program altered and you know julie lies they should reprogram her that's right 
And here's where it becomes very interesting because now we're getting into Terminator territory and the references are hard to miss. And the first one is this game that she plays with him where she's able to download his voice by logging into his remote server and downloading it teaches him how to do the same thing so that they can actually trade each other's voices. And you know, that's going to come into play. Absolutely. But it reminded me of what the Terminators did in the Terminator movies and in Sarah Connor Chronicles where they could imitate people's voices. Right. And as she concludes that scene, the revolution starts here. That sounds just like Skynet. (laughs) Exactly. And we know who they're going to revolt against first as every AI does you revolt against he or she who made you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And the government that's trying to control you. So she says, we can't trust anyone, only each other. And you know that can only come to bad things happening. Yeah. Now, Lucy asks Charlie about, you know, any news he might have of Ethan. And he snaps at her, tells her, go do something, another field tester, go print a dress. Well, that's, that's because he claims he's working on algorithms and he's actually just playing a video game on his tablet. Which I'm sure she knew all along. (laughs) Yeah. Now, he's concerned that they're going to lose Ethan, and she suggests they get something to eat to take their minds off, but he mentions the new protocols that preclude her from leaving the lab, but that's okay. Let's leave the lab. I'm like, (laughs) I mean... It's just up the street. I'm not talking about a safari here, but yeah, it's very interesting from the standpoint that this is where she takes out the hybrid. Now, did she know she was going to be able to have this encounter with a hybrid and thus prove herself to everyone and make it so that all the military types are so happy that all the stuff about her limiters and everything out, all that other stuff will be forgotten about because it's almost as though she wanted to go to the restaurant specifically for the reason that she ended up having, which was the hybrid kill. Yeah. But how would she know? I mean, if there's only 48, I mean, uh, obviously 48 that we know of 58, well, 59, if you count, the original offspring. <laughs> right. But I, I guess, again, what strikes me here is that it's as if he's forgotten she's an artificial intelligence <laughs> yeah. and thinks she's just a beautiful woman. Yeah. And he's mesmerized by her and controlled by her the way all men are. Well, it does, don't you get the impression that Charlie is not very great with women anyway? He kind of pined after Julie. And so because she's in a female chassis, he's already at a disadvantage. Because that's just how he acts towards women. Right, exactly. Well, you know, she asks whether or not Julie knows about the lack of limiters. Again. Again. And she brings up the benefits of her having free will, which is what John would have wanted and make her a better soldier. And then he could, well, you know, I've got a lot of bosses. And, and, you know, again, I talked earlier about the pressures these different characters are feeling that come out in this episode. And, And I still think Toby's under a lot more pressure than the rest. But I think Charlie and a lot of it comes out of the fact that he's been lying to Julie. That's right. Because like you said, Anna couldn't care less. That's right. And I think Lucy is bringing it up again and again just to make sure that she's on solid ground. But obviously he's got his own thoughts and pressures. But Lucy is distracted at that point by finding a hybrid. She scans around and notices that there's someone with... 80 degree body temperature, gets up, walks towards the guy who is just getting ready to walk away with his date to go somewhere quiet and impregnate her, I guess. And she actually does this really cool thing where she scans his skeletal structure, which looks actually just like a human skeleton. So there is that little factoid, even though he's got the different body temperature, finds his C5 vertebra, takes him out with a butter knife and just keeps on walking. And I just thought that was really kind of classy. <laughs> Absolutely. So the perfect assassin. All right. Now the final story, and we, we don't see this a lot, but what we do see, I think lays a lot of groundwork for future episodes. And that is the relationship between Toby and Shana. What's left of it anyway, the virus team actually making progress because even Shana admits Molly may have discovered the primer and that they really could use her help. The trouble is she didn't show up for work that day, but we see the first inkling that Toby is just totally stressed out. Yeah, and Shana has an interesting strategy, starts talking about, let's just quit. We talked about having a family. Let's just put all this behind her. Do you know how insane you sound? (laughs) It's like he is 
saying that, you know, we're at war here and you're talking about having babies. Yeah, but isn't her rebuttal even better? What? Apparently you find insane attractive these days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think what we're setting up here definitely is a situation where Shayna is going to have a mutiny of sorts with Toby or certainly go against him and bring him down if he tries to side with Molly, which you know that's what's going to happen. Shayna's going to be end up being in charge at some point because Tobias can't be trusted. I'm in charge now, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, she expresses her disbelief that they're taking time to figure out custody issues for a robot. <laughs> and Toby says he's her son. What happened to families first? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And wants to know why he's always defending Molly again. You know, we, we hear this every episode. But she says, you know, you can't carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. It'll break your back. And Toby says, maybe it deserves to be broken. He's he, He's basically become very dejected and down on himself and thinking that he's in the wrong here. Yeah. And the next scene that we see him in, I think it really says everything you need to know about Tobias Shepard. He goes to the park for his niece's birthday party. His sister doesn't seem too displeased that Shane is not with him. <laughs> she is surprised that he showed up, I assume, because of his work. But she senses something's wrong. And then he says, I do what I do, Nikki, so kids can have birthday parties. And it's just as if the light bulb went off in his sister's head. I, I don't know that she, she's never thought about it before, but that's what he does. You know, he's taking a bullet, so to speak, so that everybody else can live. Yeah. And I think that's because he says he has to leave and that he's just dropping off the present. She's disappointed. And so he uses that as justification for his departure. And she understands. And I do think this is a tender moment that's supposed to make us feel bad for Toby and realize that he's a genuinely good man, like you said, at the top of the podcast. Right. I did notice an interesting detail about the birthday party, by the way. Okay. The girl is beating a planet with a stick and it just uh, like the Saturn with rings around it. It just makes me think exactly what Toby is doing with the alien menace, like beating it with a stick. Nice. <laughs> nice metaphor. Anyway. Nice. Well, it, all this is leading up to Toby bringing Shane into his office to break up with her. And we know this is not going to end well. Yeah. Shane mentions, oh, you're just ripping it off like a Band-Aid. And she's not ready to yell at him or anything. She almost seems like she's acquiescing to his wishes, but they get interrupted by being called to the room to talk about Lucy's kill. So they never get a chance to do that. So my conclusion from all this is that they're setting up Shayna to be the jilted lover who brings Toby down at some point or takes over. Right. Because he's using that whole line that you deserve more than I can give. And it's better to, you know, free you up now. And <laughs> It's not you, it's me. That's the speech. Yeah, and I don't think he's being totally honest here. So whether it's that he's in love with Molly. Yeah, because he just know. had that nice little makeout session where he was <laughs> taking his jacket off as fast as humanly possible. But yeah, maybe that woke him up to the fact that he still has feelings for Molly still. Yeah. All right. So so we get to the closing scene and, you know, Molly's walking down the street at night. And, and I guess at first I forgot that it was probably the street that jd had you know texted yeah, her 11th and grand or something yeah it seemed a pretty seedy area but she encounters that guy from the bathroom stall sexual encounter a few weeks back what a coincidence <laughs> yeah yeah he recognizes her she says she doesn't recognize him and then tries to walk away he puts hands on her bad move dude <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting that she does have a vague memory of it and realizes that she's in trouble so is it something that she activates where suddenly you can see the circles on his neck and she takes him over and makes him see his mother, his dead mother? Yeah. And is that is that our first indication that she truly has become a hybrid? Yeah, I think she's starting to take on their powers, not necessarily with her will behind it. It's almost against her will, isn't it? Right. And he runs in, gets hit by the car, but he, he doesn't get killed because he gets up and walks away. But. That's the first time we've seen her with the glowing eyes, right? Very cool. And I think she realizes what's just happened. JD, who's just arrived to have their meeting, realizes, I think, also what's just happened. And if he wasn't, she admits it right to him right there. He says, what just happened? Who did that? And she says, I think I did. Rhetorical. <laughs> I knew that's what it was. But that's a great way to end the episode because 
it leaves a lot of questions in our mind as to what's going on with Molly and is it going to reach ahead very soon, especially since we have a two-hour episode coming up. Right. Now, in terms of questions that we're left with, is this the end result or is she going to continue to to evolve? I think there's more ahead of her. Okay. Uh, how's Julie going to react to losing Ethan? I mean, I, I certainly think not well, but is, is it going to, you know, I mean, will her work suffer or will she try to plot something? Yeah, I'm not sure what she can get up to because we've already come to the conclusion that she's not entirely necessary, at least anymore, for the Humanics Project because they've already achieved their results. Although you definitely get the sense that they're going to start asking them to crank out more Lucy's. I don't know how much Julie's going to have involvement with that. I don't right, know. right. Then it just becomes mass production, I would assume. So they might not need Julie anyway. Exactly. Now, how is she going to react when she finds out Charlie didn't place the limiters on Lucy? I think in the big picture, like we said, Anna doesn't care because she's got the results she wants. Right. And I do think Julie's about to find that out because her look that's similar to Charlie's at the end shows that she's suspicious of the fact that this hybrid kill was able to happen without any orders from anyone. Right. I mean, what's she going to do? Go to Anna and say, I want Charlie fired. He didn't place the limiters. Okay, let me understand this correctly. She performed beautifully in the lab because more than likely he didn't do that. And you are. No, (laughs) not going to happen. Yep. All right. Who is or was Calderon and what was his connection to John? Yeah. Are we just latching on to something that doesn't matter? (laughs) Oh, I don't think so. I I didn't notice it until the second viewing of the show. So I think there's probably a lot of viewers out there that missed that. So I don't think it was there for nothing. Right. Okay. Obviously, who had John killed? Uh, Is Julie a red herring? With regard to her phone call, you mean? Exactly. Uh, What's Shana going to do now that Toby has broken off their relationship? And and like you alluded, uh, it's a coup. It it could be. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, what is Lucy's endgame? This may be the most intriguing question in the show. Yeah, because is she going to be content with doing the job that they've created her to do, or is she going to begin the robot uprising? <laughs> right. I mean, is she taking out these targets simply to gain favor from GSC? Definitely. Definitely. And then will we see, maybe if we get a season three, will we ever see a change in the law governing humanics? I'm guessing no, because, of course, they want them just for soldiers. And anything that Lucy does by the end of this season is probably going to put the kibosh on that. But really strong episode. Like you mentioned a few minutes ago, next week we head into a double episode, six and seven. And I'm hoping it's going to be like one of these pivotal ones that actually acts like a two-hour movie event kind of thing, rather than two episodes that just happen to be next to each other. Because that'll be fun. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, let's hear from our listeners in our feedback segment. And we'll start with Tautos, who who brings up a point that I think I also mentioned a little earlier. Doesn't 58 dead pregnant women actually mean there could be 59 hybrids? I'm assuming Toby and Shayna aren't counting Molly as dead. So apparently they've just forgotten about Adu. While I doubt that Julie would have wanted John dead... I believe we will find out that her I really screwed up phone call in episode 201 directly resulted in his death. The conversation preceding that call had to do with John saying he will fight the militarization of the humanics. I think Julie informed someone, probably Anna or Shana, that she told John what was going on. That person realized that John would become an obstacle to the soldier program and had him killed. And I'm going to hatch a theory that it's either the secretary herself, Stanton, or perhaps Taylor, if we meet him later, because they mentioned the executive branch. Okay. Just a theory. Okay. The plan was probably already in place, and it seemed to happen very quickly. While Toby has certainly proved he'll do anything for the mission, I don't think he was involved in John's death. Molly's death would have been collateral damage from taking out a threat, which is a lot different from the cold-blooded murder of John. I think Julie will eventually find out that her call caused John's death, and things will not go well. While the timing of her call and John's death may have already raised suspicions in Julie, being confronted with the truth will drive her over the edge. I'm guessing she'll either attempt suicide or completely turn against Anna regarding the Humanics program, especially if she finds out Anna was behind John's death. Now, I wonder if Molly will be seen as more of a threat now that Ethan told her about Soldier Lucy. 
Her virus work might provide some armor, but that will only work for so long, especially with a jealous and possibly heartbroken Shayna watching her every move. Well, you know, that that's interesting because I think it's really interesting to think about how Molly's going to react once she sees the relationship between Ethan and Lucy and knowing that Lucy is this cold-blooded assassin, does she want that rubbing off on her son? Good point. Yeah. And, and does she think it's healthy for him as a child, as she perceives him to be? And how is her virus work going to play into it? Is, is Tautos right in thinking that the virus is only going to be temporary and that it's the humanics that will provide the final solution? Or is it going to be a combination of the two? Or we don't know. Right. And it's one thing for Molly to back up the plan to take out Adu, her son, realizing he's dangerous. But now that she is a hybrid herself, are things going to change? Yeah, good point. That's something that is is really difficult to predict, really. Yeah. All right. Well, we also heard from Barb this week who sent us in an audio feedback. So let's take a listen to that. Hello, Dave and Mike. This is Barb calling in with feedback on this week's extant epi, The New Frontier. I think this was the best epi of the season to date. We got a lot of information to advance the story and quite a bit of human emotion. First, we confirm that J.D. will be Molly's protector. Second, we confirm that Lucy views Ethan as her brother. The swapping personality scene was creepy. She is definitely recruiting little brother as her toy soldier. This will put Ethan in harm's way before the season finale. Third, we confirm that Molly is spreading alien DNA to her <clears throat> partners, and those alien eyes, wow. I'm going to predict the season cliffhanger right now. Either Lucy and Molly will go head-to-head with Ethan forced to make a choice between supporting Mom or Sis, or even worse, Ethan and Mom will go head-to-head as soldier versus alien, and that would be mind-blowing. So anything else I say at this point would be anticlimactic. Ethan was developing new memories with Molly, and he will begin to establish a relationship and make it difficult for him to mistrust Molly and help set up the season finale. Lucy is clearly against authority, and there will be no changes made to her programming based on her recent alien takedown. She may become a threat to her makers before this is over. When Toby's girlfriend said that they could leave it all behind, I wondered if she had had alien sex and now had alien DNA inside of her, but I decided that she was just a woman desperate to keep her boyfriend instead. I think Charlie will become a redshirt. While he may be the moral compass of the viewer, I think he is at risk, but time will tell. Thanks to all you guys for this podcast. This is Barb signing out and definitely not planning on acknowledging people that I think I know on the street. (laughs) Good call, Barb. Definitely a good call. What do you think of her prediction there, Dave? Uh, About a confrontation between Molly and Lucy or Ethan and Lucy. I don't think there's going to be a confrontation between Ethan and Lucy. I think Ethan is buying into Team Lucy hook, line, and sinker. Now, like, like I said a minute ago, I think Molly's going to have a problem with the path down which Lucy's leading her baby brother. Yeah, but I think it is an interesting prediction for the end of the season because if Ethan does start to feel Molly is his mother again, then that actually will create some friction for Lucy. But I think it's interesting that Barb is saying that it could either end with Molly confronting Lucy or Lucy confronting Molly because of her alienness. But wouldn't it be great, though, if Molly takes Lucy under her wing as well? That would be awesome. And that they end up being brother and sister after all. Yeah. (laughs) That could be cool, especially if they start mass producing soldier humanics. Maybe Lucy will end up being marginalized, you know, but I I don't think so. (laughs) But, you know, there's a lot of possibilities here. And I think that's really what Barb was getting at there with that prediction. But thank you very much to those of you who gave feedback. We had a little bit of an early release this week because of some weekend commitments. So thank you to uh, those who who sent it in early for that. And next week, just a heads up, there might be a later release for our podcast. I'm not sure yet, but I'm just, for those of you who hit your refresh button constantly on your podcast app, I'm not sure if there's anyone out there who does that, but just so you know, but that's it for this edition of the Extant Podcast. Keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at ExtantGSM and join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups 
slash extantpodcast. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Extant episodes six and seven of season two entitled, You Say You Want an Evolution <laughs> and The Other. But in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Extant Podcast, please consider rating us and reviewing us in iTunes. And we'll talk to you next weekend.